0: He roared, I want to
1: see your king. Hammers of Steel rang out.
2: (gasps) It was 157 feet tall. We love
3: stories! It's time for the Apple Seed. Sometime just about every day, filled with stories for you and your family. I'm Sam Payne. What a pleasure to have you with us today for an hour of stories chosen by uh, one of our assistant producers, Karanin Amunia. We're going to have a conversation with him a little bit later on about one of the tales that we're going to bring you today. But you're going to hear stories from Bonnie Greenberg, from Mark Binder, and it's going to be a great hour. But first, let's begin with an entry in the Radio Family Journal.
1: Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family. Right when you need it. On the Appleseed.
3: Four days after Christmas in 1995, in Buffalo, New York, a 34-year-old fireman named Donald Herbert rushed into a burning apartment building. He was looking for survivors of the fire. Now, this is something he'd done before, His walls at home were crowded with citations for bravery as a firefighter, but this rescue would be different. The apartment roof collapsed on top of Donald Herbert on that rescue, rendering him unconscious, pinning him under flaming debris. His fellow firefighters would pull him free and hoist him out of an upstairs window to save his life, but not before he'd been without oxygen for a long time. Those fellow firefighters would mournfully carry Donald Herbert down the ladder and into ten years of living in a semi coma, nearly blind, unable to speak, and as he sat unaware, his children, Donnie, Tom, and Patrick, grew from boys of fourteen, thirteen, and eleven to men of twenty-four, twenty-three and twenty-one and the baby Nicholas grew to be in junior high school. Donald missed the flood of cards and letters, the news articles, the benefit parties that raised tens of thousands of dollars for the family of that comatose firefighter. And then, on a day in early May, a nurse heard Donald say, I want to talk to my wife. Just like that, after ten years of silence, a staff member called his house baby nicholas now 13 years old answered the phone it can't be said donald when he found out who was on the other end of the line nicholas can't talk he's just a baby but talk they did the other boys came over donald's old firefighter friends came over donald recognized them all And between them, the conversation blazed up high enough that it couldn't be put out for another 14 hours. 14 hours of rich conversation. Laughter rang through the care center that for Donald's family and friends had held only blank stares for 10 years. Donald Herbert was back. I can hardly imagine the wonder of that moment for his friends and family and, of course, for Donald himself. Now, it wound up being just... A moment, just a moment of grace, after that 14 hours of lively conversation with family and friends, Donald lapsed back into an existence in which he didn't interact much. Not comatose anymore, but not as talkative as he had been during that magical part of a day. And a year later, after a week that had included playing catch with his sons at the care center where he lived, an infection came on, pneumonia, and it wouldn't react to the antibiotics with which they tried to fight it. And the illness took Donald Herbert over the course of a single weekend. It had been about 10 months since his miraculous awakening. And it's hard to know Just what to make of a story like that? I mean, the very same world that took a firefighter in the prime of his life away from his beloved hometown and family, the very same world that left Donald Herbert in a silent stupor for a decade, is the self-same world in which a man comatose for 10 years miraculously awakened. And it's the same world that took Herbert for good a year later. So is Donald Herbert's story a happy one or a sad one? I mean, for me, I guess, it's the story of an amazing world where crazy things happen. And while it's true that we are often blindsided by tragedy, we are as often blindsided by moments of grace, both small and large, and then more tragedy, and then more grace. I mean, it goes on and on. That's the story. Some things in the story have lasted, among them, Donald's grandchildren learn about life at the feet of their parents who remain inspired by Donald and his story, his tradition of courageous self-sacrifice for the good and safety of the people in his community. Two of Donald's sons are firefighters. Two more are police officers. Donald himself may no longer be with them, but a legacy remains. You can see it. As I think about Donald Herbert's story, I think of the winds of fortune by which I'm so often tossed and that are so often out of my control, and while I'm sometimes surprised by tragedy, I can't deny that blessings have crossed my path without any warning from time to time, too, blessings so chance, so random, so huge, that they leave me feeling sometimes like a man long comatose, suddenly and surprisingly awakening.
1: Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne. A tiny little story for you and your family right when you need it on the Appleseed.
3: Thanks for joining us for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. We always hope that the stories that we share with you on the program spark memories for you that you can share with the people that you love. Lots more coming up. we got a story from Bonnie Greenberg, one from Mark Binder. still ahead in the hour, but first, let's have a conversation with a friend, shall we? stories come into our lives in so many ways, from families passing them along, telling to telling from the pages of great books through terrific songs with which we interact, and the things that we see on screen, and certainly radio and podcasts, and exploring all of the ways that great stories get into our hearts and minds is part of what we love to do here on the Appleseed. I'm joined in the studio by we've called him our podcast aficionado Stuart Foster,
4: one of our assistant
3: producers. Stuart, Stuart, it's great to have you
4: with It's me. great to be here, Sam. You know, that kind of, I feel like it qualifies the amount of time that I spend listening to podcasts somehow. <laughs> it somehow vindicates it to me when you call me that. <laughs> That's right. Well, one of the
3: things that we love to do is chat with you about some of your favorites. And 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 we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, th- this is a podcast that I have a particular interest in. Uh, tell us a little bit about 20,000 Hertz.
4: Yeah. So 20,000 Hertz is a podcast about the world's most recognizable and interesting sounds. Wow. And so it is an audiophile's stream podcast, <laughs> so I can understand why you are interested in so it. So there
3: might be an episode of 20,000 Hertz about, like, the boot sound on your Macintosh computer or exactly. something. Exactly.
4: Like in that. fact, you saying that, there, I am 100% sure there is an episode wow. about that, about where that Mac sound came from and who created it. Wow. Yeah, there's all sorts of fun stuff. There's stuff about the Jeopardy sounds. <laughs> there's stuff about, you know, everything from, like, sonic booms to like the very minuscule noises made in the ocean by critters and things like that man the one that i'm bringing to you today though is about the voyager golden record you know what the voyager golden record is sam for sure listen
3: uh, i i i i don't know much but there is nothing that captures my imagination like the story of some of the things that we have done in space mm. and and thinking about the voyager spacecraft still going out into the you know beyond the the beyond the bubble right yeah. beyond the reaches of the solar system that that is like a religious experience for me
4: yeah no i yeah. i feel that as well and it's it's this it's such an interesting thought to think what will we represent humanity with? Yeah. Right? Because that's what this Voyager record was. Yeah, it was it's an a, attempt it's to It's a record, like yeah. the
3: record that you like the records you have in your record. Uh-huh, exactly. All, filled with earth sounds. Mm-hmm. Right. So
4: if something, someone, something <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> found it then they would understand kind of what is going on on earth like what we think we are as humanity which i find to just be a fascinating thing like if somebody asked me oh what do you think humanity is please put it onto a 20 minute long record right (laughs) i would be like i have no idea it's so hard to say what that is and it contains
3: greetings in lots and lots of languages it Mm -hmm. contains music by chuck berry It, it it contains All kinds of representative Earth sounds, this golden record. Mm -hmm.
4: Yeah. So there are – yeah, exactly what you said. In fact, that's the majority of the record. And then there are a couple of things that come with the record as well. It's this golden record that has been engraved on as well. So it's got like scientific engravings on it and Mm. other things of that nature to show that humanity has progressed to understanding things like sound waves and things like you know light, that, that kind of stuff. Uh, an, an artifact designed to teach
3: whoever right mm-hmm. whatever what whatever there is beyond right yeah. about us about about earth mm-hmm. and its and its folks and its creatures and its things yeah. and its remarkable I, you you i i have found uh, uh, you, you can buy replica copies of the gold record on eBay. That's true.
4: Like that. <laughs> yeah, I've thought about doing. Don't that. think
3: for one second that my finger hasn't hovered over the buy button, <laughs> Stuff like that. Again, it just carries me away yeah. to think that this this visionary exercise of sending stuff out into the cosmos that you know, in a way that we may never see bear fruit, but maybe our children or children's children, or you know, yeah. these, these seem like such visionary investments to me.
4: Yeah, you say that. I mean, the the idea of it being captured and and uh, actually, like, seen by something has been basically written into every sci-fi that sure, exists right. ever, right? Like, Star Trek is like, right. oh, what would yeah. happen if somebody actually found this thing? But and maybe it's audacious for me to say, but I kind of think that if we were to send one up today, if we were to send another golden record out today, yeah. that – maybe some of the stuff on the apple seed would go on to it. And I, I kind of think that just simply because music and storytelling yeah. are really something very core to humanity. Sure. Right. And I yeah. think that, maybe we should send up some Charlotte Blake Austin. That's Maybe, right. maybe we should send up some, I don't know, Tim Lowry to, right. to our alien an friends. Appleseed
3: Project, yeah. Stuart, we could send up into outer space. <laughs> all we need is, well, never mind. I'll what, call SpaceX. <laughs> I'll call <laughs> SpaceX. <laughs> and, of course, 20,000 Hertz uh, has an episode devoted to the Voyager golden mm-hmm. record and, and all of the things that are on it and kind of how it came to be, how how the scientist Carl Sagan sort of headed up that uh, that effort to 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 build that sort of portrait that snapshot of 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 life on earth yeah right? i would
4: highly recommend it and you know these episodes are like thirty minutes to an hour sometimes, um, but usually they're not that long. And they're really, really great little pieces of production. Uh,
3: the uh, the boot sound from the Macintosh computer we've talked about that. What about like the sound you make when you bang with a wrench on a guy line to a power yeah, stuff like the, that? The Where Star, you make Wars, Star noise. Wars noises. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 yeah. I There's... think
4: that they've done one on that. I know that they've done a couple on like things like the bloop. I don't know if you know what the bloop is, but that's a that's an underwater. <laughs> Water noise that a lot of people associated with a creature. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
3: right. At right this second, I'm thinking about the little whistle that comes out of my mouth when I eat ice cream. When I eat ice cream, somehow, I don't, I don't know if this is common to humanity, but when I put a bite of ice cream in my mouth, I tend to kind of breathe in in just such a certain way that makes a little whistling sound and
4: I don't know how i do it
3: okay 20,000 hertz that is a challenge for you yeah
4: that's not common to humanity by the way
3: so So sorry (laughs) well it's not going to keep me from eating ice cream Uh I can tell you that just because it's a unique experience for me well what a pleasure to chat a little bit about the podcast 20,000 hertz it's episode Voyager's Golden Record with Stuart Foster Stuart thank
4: you so much of course great to be here. Great
3: stories get into our hearts and minds in so many ways, through the things that we see on screen, through our experiences with great books and songs, and certainly great food yields its share of stories. And, of course, talking about all those ways in which great stories get down into our hearts and minds is something that we love to do with friends here on The Appleseed. What a pleasure to have had that conversation. And we've got uh, a lot coming up. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to hear a story from Bonnie Greenberg, a story called... Devoleb. You won't want to miss it.
4: You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment.
0: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
3: It's great to have you back with us on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a story, well, you heard a conversation with a friend and an entry in the Radio Family Journal. Before we get to more stories, we want to remind you that you can find us online at byuradio.org Appleseed. That's where you'll find all of the episodes of the show, hundreds of episodes, thousands of stories for your listening pleasure anytime you like. You can find us wherever you get your favorite podcasts, too, or even on the BYU Radio app that you can download wherever you to get apps for your mobile device. Well, coming up in just a moment, we've got a story from Bonnie Greenberg. It's kind of a David and Goliath story, and uh, it's called Devoleb. Now, Devoleb might seem an interesting title of a story for you. I'm listening to the story today with Karani Namunyu, one of our assistant producers. Karani, it's great to have you with me. Thank you so much, Sam. Devoleb is that a is that a Is that a new word for you? It
1: is. After I heard about that, I was like, is it develop
4: or something? (laughs) Here's what you should do. Yes.
3: You should write down the word devoleb on a piece of paper and then read it backwards.
2: Devoleb
3: Mm -hmm. by Bonnie Greenberg here on The Apple Seed. Glad to bring it to you.
0: I'm tiny but strong, hear me sing my song. I'm bold, I'm brave, you can count on me. Just wait, you will see. My people, I'll save. That was Devolip. Did you hear him? They say, if you stand right here under the trees where he sang and he played, that you can still hear him singing that song. DeVolub was a hero in our kingdom, and when I grow up, I want to be just like him. My father remembers when they found DeVolub. You see, it was back in the old days. Why, then, our kingdom was separated from the kingdom next door by just one river. They called that the kingdom of the Godolim, the big ones. They say the men over there stood taller than five trees and wider than three rivers. They say that that kingdom was going around taking over all the smaller kingdoms, and ours was the smallest of all. But no one had ever really seen them. And they'd never bothered us, so no one was sure. Nonetheless, the kids weren't allowed to play down near the bend in the river. It just wasn't considered safe. Kids had to play up near the creeks. Now my father and his friends, they had built a hideout down near the river, right near the bend behind the eucalyptus trees. Why, when the sun shone on those eucalyptus leaves, you couldn't see anything behind those trees. My father and his friends, they would take their fishing poles and say, We're just going fishing down by the creek. And then they'd run to their hideout. Well, one day, they had a big surprise. They went down to the hideout, and it was smashed to smithereens. Why, where their hideout had been, there was now just one enormous footprint. Why, it was true there were Gadolim over there, and they had come over to our side. Well, my father and his friends ran back to the village to tell their families. When they got there, everyone was standing at the edge of the forest in a circle, looking down around something. My father tried to talk to his father. Papa? Papa, I have something to tell you. Not now, son. Can't you see something important is going on? Well, he looked in between all those people, and there in the middle, there was this young boy lying on the ground. Well, he'd been hurt badly. He was about seven years old, and he couldn't even move. The people stood and just stared at him. Every now and then, his eyes would flutter open, and he had the "'biggest, roundest, brownest eyes that anyone had ever seen. "'Why, they were so big and so round "'that they filled up the whole space where the white usually is. "'Well, the boy couldn't even be moved, "'so they made a little bed of leaves and grass around him "'to make him comfortable. "'And you know the people of my kingdom. "'They sat by him and took turns bringing him food.' They would feed him, spoonful by spoonful, little bits of soup. They sat beside him and told him stories, sang him songs. But he had to lie still there for a long time. Well, after a while, he could open his eyes a little more, and it was somewhat boring lying there all the time. So he would make up some games You know that game where you look at the clouds passing by overhead and you pretend they're different animals? Like, there goes an alligator, there goes an elephant. Well, one day, he was playing that game when a beautiful green leaf just began to float down from the tree up above. Well, DeVolup gathered up all his energy into those big brown eyes of his, and he stared at that leaf until, poof, it went up in flames. Ooh, he didn't know he could do that. He began to practice that. He would practice on leaves and sticks and... Why, he got so good that pretty soon, with those eyes of his, he could bore a hole in a tree stump 30 yards away. But he never told anyone about that. He kept that his secret. In time, DeVolop was able to sit up, and soon he could stand. And before the summer was over, he was able to play with the other children Oh, he had long fingers, and he'd made a beautiful harp. He loved to play that. He would go out into the woods and play that beautiful harp and sing songs, and all the other children would follow along behind him. I'm tiny but strong, hear me sing my song. I'm bold, I'm brave, you can count on me, just wait, you will see. My people, I'll save. It was one day in the late spring when all the wildflowers were in bloom that the king from the kingdom of the Gdolim came into the clearing between our two kingdoms. He roared, I want to see your king. Well, our king went out to meet him. Listen, tomorrow... At 5 a.m., when the sun comes over the horizon, my armies are coming here to take your kingdom. Now, there is one thing you can do to save yourselves. I'll send out my biggest, bravest warrior, and you send out your strongest warrior, and they can do battle first. If your soldier wins... Why, we'll just turn around and go back home, if your soldier wins. (laughs) And he turned and rode back into the forests of the kingdom of the Gedolim. Our king didn't know what to do. He came back to tell the people. He was wringing his hands, tearing at his hair and all night long they argued about who they should send. Devolub stepped forward, and he said, I can do it. You? Why, Devolub, you're so little and fragile. Devolub, you've been so sick. And we love you so much. We can't send you to what's sure to be certain death. But Devolub just put his hands on his hips and said once more, I can do it. Well, soon the sun was starting to come up and someone had to be sent. And so they sent Devolub. Out from the forests of the Gedolim stepped the giant warrior. Why, it was true. He stood taller than five trees and wider than three rivers and in his hand he brandished a sword that just gleamed in the morning sun. And from our side out stepped Devolub and there was no sword in the hand of Devolub. When the warrior saw who had been sent, he became furious. What? This is who they send to fight me, a mighty warrior. And with that, he brought his sword down across the meadow, neatly trimming off the tops of every wildflower in its path. He raised his sword again and moved toward Devolap, But Devolap didn't move. He just gathered all his energy into those powerful eyes and stared at the heart of the giant. Everyone held their breath as they watched the giant sword slowly descend until it fell from his hand, and then his hands clutched at his heart, his knees buckled, and soon he lay dead upon the ground. Well, a roar went up from the people in our kingdom. They raced out and placed a volum on their shoulders, dancing and singing all about. The enemy turned and, with their heads bent, rode back to their own land. Our people danced all day and all night around the campfires, singing songs, I'm tiny but strong, hear me sing my song. I'm bold, I'm brave, you could count on me. I did set you free, my people, I saved.
3: A story called DeVolub, told by Bonnie Greenberg and Karani. Did you figure it out? Did you write it down on a piece of paper and read it backwards? D-E-V-O-L-E-B. If you read it backwards, do yeah. you, you know what it says? <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a familiar word that you'll know, and the word is beloved, right? Beloved. Oh. Devoleb, Backwards. Is wow. beloved, yeah. So there you go. A tiny that, that, little story from Bonnie Greenberg, kind of a David and Goliath story, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's true. And, um, the big lesson from this is the normal, um, saying that we always have that don't judge a book by its cover, right? Uh, it is, it, it is, people throw it around many times, that's but right. It's really, it. it It fits that kind of a story. Yeah.
3: You know, so often we feel small. You know, we feel small in the face of big challenges. And like Devoleb, like David in the Old Testament, we can march forward and face even those big challenges. And sometimes we find that we're kind of amazed with the giants we can bring down, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) That is a really beautiful one. And you said beloved. Beloved. He was beloved in that community
3: Yeah, just because of that. Yeah. The Story of DeVolub by Bonnie Greenberg. Lots more
4: coming up in just a moment. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll
2: be back in a moment.
4: Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne.
2: It's great to have you back with us
3: on today's episode of The Appleseed. Before the break, you heard a terrific story called Devolub, a story told by Bonnie Greenberg, kind of a David and Goliath story. And, of course, earlier in the hour, an entry in the Radio Family Journal and a conversation with a friend. It's been a great hour so far, and it will continue to be a great hour as we listen now to a story from Mark Binder. Now, this is a story uh, called The Short Tale of of Erica P. Now, this is a story that teaches us you don't have to be a grown-up to become a hero or heroine. This is about Erica, a young girl who saved a life. Mark Binder on the Appleseed.
2: The short tale of Erica P. Spunk. Once upon a time, there was a little, 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 little baby by the name of Erica P. Spunk. She was so small that her mother was afraid that if they ever gave her a bath, that she'd wash down the drain. And Erica naturally became a little bit afraid of the water. So everywhere she went, she always carried an umbrella with her. Well, she stayed inside a lot, and she read a lot. She read a lot of folk tales. And she realized something. All of the folk heroes were men. You had Paul Bunyan big lumberjack guy. You had Pecos Bill, big cowboy guy. You had Mike Fink, big riverboat guy. John Henry, big steel-driving guy. Where were all the women folk heroes? Well, Erica decided that she had to do something about it. So she set out west, which is one of those things that a lot of folk heroes do. She started to walk. She walked and she walked and she walked, until she came to the edge of the Mississippi River. They call the Mississippi River the Big Muddy because it's so wide, it was about a mile wide there, and it's deep, and the bottom is all muck and mud. Well, Erica came to the river, and there was no way to get across it. She looked across the river, and she had very good eyesight. She saw something that sent shivers down her spine. There was a house on fire. And in the second story of that house, there was a baby and it was crying, mama, mama. and on the front lawn was the mother reaching up and calling my baby, my baby. The fire engines were too far away to get there in time. And Erica P. Spunk knew that if she was going to become a folk hero, she had to do something. She opened up her umbrella. She flipped it upside down, She hopped inside, and she began to paddle across the Mississippi River with her hands. She was about halfway across the river when she found out something that you probably already know. Umbrellas make really lousy boats. They got a round bottom. There's no keel. The umbrella started to tilt sideways, and when it tilted sideways, water began to rush in. And when the water began to rush in, it tilted even further, and then all of a sudden it flipped over. Erica just had time to catch a breath as she sank beneath the water. On the way down, she was thinking to herself, oh my goodness, this is a horrible ending for a folk story. This is more of a tragedy. I can't go out like this. But she didn't know how to swim. But there was no time like the present. So she folded up the umbrella and she tucked it into her belt. She began to swing her arms around and kick her feet kind of like she'd seen people doing when they were swimming. And it turned out that Erica P. Spunk was a pretty good swimmer. She shot out of the water like she was a flying fish. She flew into the second-story window of that house. She grabbed that baby. She ran downstairs. She came out on the front lawn, and she handed that baby to the mother. Here you are, ma'am. Oh, thank you for saving my baby. The crowd that was watching, they cheered and someone from a newspaper said they were going to write an article. Just then, a fellow by the name of P.T. Barnum came up and introduced himself. This was in the days before he had a circus. He looked at Erica and he said, I saw what you did. You're a real hero. You can swim, but can you dive? Well, Erica thought, I've never been swimming before today. I suppose I can dive. Then we've got an act. So P.T. Barnum, he printed up handbills. Erica P. Spunk was going to dive off the world's highest platform into a pickle barrel. They built the platform next to the Mississippi River. It was 157 feet tall. A crowd gathered, and P.T. Barnum, he charged them each a nickel just to watch. Erica P. Spunk, she climbed up that tower... It took a long time to get up to the top, and when she reached the top and stood on the little platform, she looked down, and she thought, this is a really dumb idea. The pickle barrel looked to be about the size of a nickel, and she didn't know if she could hit it, but she'd given P.T. her word, so she leaned forward, and she dove, and she looked good. She did spins, she did twirls, she did somersaults, she did jackknives and half-Nelsons. And then a gust of wind caught her and blew her off course, right over the Mississippi River. The whole crowd gasped as Erica P. Spunk landed with a big splash in the river. Everybody waited on shore. And then a moment later, she shot out of there like a girl out of a cannon. She landed next to the pickle barrel, and she looked good. The crowd cheered, and P.T. Barnum smiled. He knew they had an act. Well, they toured all the way down the Mississippi River until they got to New Orleans, where P.T. had a special advertising promotion. Erica P. Spunk was going to race a steamboat and a sailboat. But just then, a hurricane started to blow in. Now, New Orleans is a low-lying city, and a hurricane could be devastating. Erica spent the whole morning towing boats into Dock. But the hurricane wasn't going anywhere. At last, Erica looked at P.T. and said, I gotta do something. P.T. nodded and said, Do what you have to do. She opened up her umbrella. She caught the wind and she blew off into the hurricane. She swirled round and round and round until she came into the eye of the hurricane, and she looked that hurricane right in the eye, and she said, You better get out of here. Well, the hurricane had never seen anything like her, and it didn't answer. She said, You better get out of here or else I'm going to have to do something. The hurricane didn't answer, so Erica P. spunk, she made a fist, and she hit that hurricane, boom, right in the eye. It blinked, and she hit it again, and then that hurricane started to cry. Now, you know that if Erica P. Spunk had been a male folk hero, she would have wrestled that hurricane to the ground. She would have tied it up with a bow and put it in a box, but she wasn't. She saw that the hurricane was crying, and she felt kind of sorry for it, and they got to talking, and it turned out they had a lot in common. The hurricane slowly drifted out to sea, leaving the city of New Orleans in peace. P.T. Barnum, he waited up on shore for a long time, and when it got dark, he finally left. Some folks say that Erica P. Spunk drowned in that hurricane. Others say that she blew all the way to England, where she became known as Mary Poppins. But the truth is that Erica and that hurricane, they fell in love, and they lived happily ever after.
3: That was The Short Tale of Erica P. Spunk, a story told by Mark Binder. I think we introduced it as The Short Tale of Erica P. We ought to include her last name there, right? The Short Tale of Erica P. Spunk by Mark Binder about a young girl who proves that you don't have to be a grown-up to become a hero or heroine as she saves the life of another human being, Erica P. Spunk does. Well, we've got another story coming up here, of course, and this, is, this may be when you're familiar with. This is the famous story of John Henry, born with a hammer in his hands, who could swing the hammer at a rate that the naked eyes couldn't even see. Charlotte Blake Alston, the wonderful story with this terrific American folktale, John Henry, here on The Appleseed.
1: Hammers of steel rang out. Hoo, that's your part. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 He was born in Missouri in the 1840s. Others say that Alabama was the place. Some say he was nothing but a Louisiana man or the one of Carolinians' embrace. Legend says that he was born with a hammer in his hand. That's the way the story goes. (laughs) I can't imagine how his mama endured that pain, so I'll spare you the birthing woes. They say the frog stopped frogging and the cricket stopped crickin' and the mighty winds quieted down. All of nature was a-watching and a-waiting and a listening for that itty-bitty baby's sound. And as soon as baby John drew his first breath, the mighty rivers roared. Baby John jumped down, started crawling around, banging his hammer on the cabin floor. Yes, he did. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 Well, Lord have mercy, his mama cried. Now, I'm not one to complain, but I want you to know that it feels like I just gave birth to a full grown man. Well, he wasn't quite a man, but he certainly grew to be a big, tall, strapping boy. And plowing, planting, hauling, lifting was the kind of work he enjoyed. Legend says one day, as an itty-bitty boy, when he was sitting on his daddy's knee, he pointed his finger at a great piece of steel and said, that's still going to be the death of me. Well, he soon grew bored with farm-type work. He had an itching to travel the land. So he went to find work that would make better use of the strength that he had in his hands. And yes, he did. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 out. Well, he got a job working on a riverboat, and that suited his fancy just fine. And soon his story was being told all up and down the riverboat line. Because one dark night, one stormy night, the riverboat paddle wheel broke. We're taking on water, the captain cried. We got to bail to stay afloat. Well, young John Henry jumped on the deck, eased across a wooden plank. And before you could say great God from Zion, he jumped down onto the paddle wheel crank. Well, he pushed, pulled, moaned, and groaned, and the paddle wheel started to turn. John Henry pushed that riverboat back into port by the crack of dawn. Yes, he did. Hammers Hammers of steel rang out. 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 Well, after spending some time on a riverboat, he was yearning for a bigger test. He heard men talking about railroad tracks being laid from the east to the west. They're laying track across prairies, rivers, plains, gonna blast through the mountain's core. John Henry got excited, thought to himself, this is the challenge I've been waiting for. They needed men of strength to wield 10-pound hammers to drive those steel spikes through. So the powder man could put in the dynamite, blast it, and cart away the residue. Well, they reached the mountain, and that was the place where Big John's true test began. But all he was thinking was, it feels so good to have a hammer in my hands again. Yes, he did. Hammers Hammers of steel rang out. 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 And well, the men start singing, and the hammer starts swinging, and they swung those hammers all day. Each crew worked hard and fast as they could, but John Steel gang led the way. Nobody would ever seen such a man like Johnny, did the job of ten strong men. And from the owner to the foreman to the water, boy, everybody was in awe of him. But one day, one day, a man showed up, told the boss, I could save you time. This brand new steam drill could do the work of all the hammers on the steel gang line. Well, John spoke up. I don't know about that. These are good, hard-working men. They've laid track for you all across this land, and they'll be loyal until the end. No matter how hard-working they might be, there's no man who could beat a machine. And I dare anybody to challenge the thought that he could beat a drill. Powered by steam. See, this here man didn't know John Henry, hadn't heard about the paddle boat wheel, and there was nobody better than big John Henry at swinging those hammers of steel. So John said, I'll take the test, for all these men have worked hard all across this land. Because before I let my steel gang down, I'll die with a hammer in my hand. Yes, he did. Hammers of steel rang out. <laughs> hammers of steel rang out. <laughs> Hammers of steel rang out. Hammers of steel rang out. Well, the stage was set. The Big Bend Tunnel was the site of the big showdown. One look in John's eye, and you knew he was not going to let his steel gang down. Come on, little Bill, grab them steel spikes. You and me's got work to do. Bill shook John's hand and said, There's nobody that I'd rather do this with than you. It was on John's back that the jobs of all these hard-working men would ride. So he calmed himself and prepared to hammer into the belly of the mountainside. Little Bill grabbed one of the handheld spikes and placed it against the rock. John Henry picked up a 10-pound maul and prepared to race the clock. The men stepped back to watch. There was so much tension in the air. You could cut that thickness with a knife and still have more than your share. Well, they got into position side by side, the steam drill and the man. Bill heaved a sigh, tightened his grip, steadied the steel spike with his hands. The foreman called out number one. The operator's hand started to twitch. The foreman called out number two. The operator's hand went to the switch. Performing dropped his hands on three and the steam drill roared to life. But the furry first hit they heard was steel on steel. John Henry had made the first strike. Ah! Hammers of steel rang out. 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 Steel rang out. Hiss, hiss pop a, pop a, pop the steam drill chugged and churned. And shovel after shovel after shovel of coal, that steam drill quickly burned. And John Henry was slamming that spike so hard and fast that it got red hot. Little Bill had to drop it, picked up another. John Henry kept up the fight. Give me a 20-pound hammer, give it to me quick. He tossed a 10-pound hammer away. And the sound of steel on steel echoed all through the mountains and the canyons that day. But swinging one hammer wasn't good enough. Give me a second when the big man cried. He was swinging both hammers so fast that you could barely see it with the naked eye. They poured water on the steam drill to keep it cool as man and machine kept pace. Drilling deeper and deeper until the stone cold rock it wasn't clear who was winning the race. But John kept going, swinging both hammers till so everybody could see. That where Big John Henry had dug five feet, the machine had only dug three. Ah, Six foot, eight foot, ten foot, John was out drilling the drilling machine. When the steam drill reached the eight foot mark, John Henry had reached 13. Pour water, pour water, shovel in more coal. We can't stop drilling now. But the machine couldn't keep up with Big John's pace, seemed to be slowing down. Then all of a sudden, the steam drill started shaking, shuddered, and it came to a halt. The machine overheated, stopped dead coal, seemed to be falling apart. Yeah, Woohoo! all the men cried. He did it. He beat that thing. The two holes he drilled totaled 14 feet. The machine couldn't manage 10. Well, John stopped swinging. And all of a sudden, a beam of light shone in his eyes. He had hammered his way through the last bit of rock and broken through to the other side. But when John stepped out into the light, drew in a slow, deep breath, his body gave out. He collapsed to the ground, just the way he predicted his death. Well, both man and machine were silent. The hammers no longer rang, but the rhythm of the strikes could be felt in the hearts of every member of John's steel gang. Well, they carried him off the mountain and buried him in the sand. And people came from the east and the west to visit the grave of this man. And if you make your way to the Big Bend Tunnel, there's a statue on that spot. It's been vandalized, pulled off its stand, peppered with buckshot. But no buckshot will stop the stories and songs from being told throughout this land of Big John Henry the steel-driving man who died with a hammer in his hands. Hammers of steel rang out. 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 out. John Henry, leader of the steel-driving
3: The story of John Henry, told by the wonderful storyteller and musician Charlotte Blake Alston. And, of course, you know, we've been bringing you stories today about heroes. John Henry and Erica P. Spunk, and even the story of DeVoleb by Bonnie Greenberg. And we thought we'd wrap up today with another Bonnie Greenberg story. This is a story called The Little Heroes of Kafar Tabor. Bonnie Greenberg on the Appleseed. When I lived in
0: Israel, I used to go hiking in the mountains every spring. That's when all the wild black irises bloomed, and the voice of the turtle dove could be heard in the land. Now at the foot of Mount Tabor in the Galilee, there's a small village called Kfar Tabor. Back in the early 1900s, it was a very small village. Why, it only had a few houses. There were some families there, and they had young children. But there was no school, and they needed a school for their children. In those days, the Turks ruled the land of Israel, and they refused to give permission to build any new buildings. They were afraid more settlers would come. However, the Turks also had a law that said if a building had a roof... No one was permitted to tear it down. The families decided to build a school in a hurry and put a roof on it before the authorities could find out. The children helped. The fathers and mothers all went out into the field that day and began building their school. All day long, you could hear the hammering of the builders.
5: When we needed a school We hammered and we nailed And used all our tools What did we do When we needed a school We hammered and we nailed And used all our tools For our hands are strong And our hearts are young And the dreamer keeps a-dreaming Ages Long keeps a-dreaming Keeps the dreaming along Keeps a-dreaming Along. Keeps a keeps
0: a along. The walls of the new school Got higher and higher each day And soon the roof would go up too The watchmen in the tower shouted a warning Quick, hide, here come soldiers on horseback The workers knew what that meant That building would be torn down before their eyes And they would be thrown into prison Quickly They all hid. Only the children stood in front of their nearly finished school. The captain came riding up with five other soldiers on horseback. They rode up to the building in a cloud of dust. They pulled their horses to a halt, and they looked at the building. The captain jumped down from his horse, shouting, "'Tear that building down! Leave no stone unturned!' The children looked at each other for a moment." speaking silently with their eyes. And then, without any words, they ran with lightning speed to their school and climbed the walls from all sides. And when they got to the top, they held hands and covered the top of that building like a living crown that shone in the sun. They were the roof. The soldiers tried to get the children down, but the youngsters remained on the top of those walls. Get down from there! Get down from there, I say! The children sat on those walls all day long, and when night fell, the captain turned to go. All right, but I'll be back tomorrow. I'll be back with more soldiers to tear this building down. They turned and galloped away on their horses. As soon as they left, messengers went to all the neighboring villages, asking people to come and help them. That night, they all worked together to finish the roof on that school. All night long, the men and women worked on the roof, and the children helped by going up and down the ladders, taking them hammers, nails, and even sandwiches so they wouldn't have to stop to eat. The children held large spotlights so everyone could see to work in the dark. They hammered, they sawed, and they nailed. Through the night, you could hear them humming softly. Hmm? They completed the roof just as the sun's rays poked through the clouds and the stars disappeared. But they could see the soldiers coming. They came with sledgehammers, axes, and crowbars, ready to tear that building down. The people all stood in front of their completed schoolhouse. Could the captain tear it down now that it had a roof? Of course not. He turned with his men and rode back to the city. The people rejoiced all day, singing and dancing way into the night. Because of their children's courage, that school was completed. Now if you go there today, you can see it for yourself. And studying inside are the grandchildren of those little heroes of Kvartabor.
5: What did we do when we needed a school?
1: We hammered and
5: we nailed and used all our tools. What did we do when we needed a school? We hammered and we nailed and used all our tools. For our hands are strong and our hearts are young. And the dreamer keeps the dreamin' ages long. Keeps the dreamin', keeps the dreamin' along. A, dream and a, dream and
3: a, a tale of Little Heroes, told by Bonnie Greenberg. Bonnie has shared a couple of stories with us today. That story and, of course, earlier in the hour, the story of Devolib, whose name is Beloved, spelled backwards. A David and Goliath story. What a pleasure to bring you tales from Mark Binder, from Bonnie Greenberg, from Charlotte Blake Alston. Earlier to have a conversation in the studio with Karani Namunyu, who chose the stories for today. The show is produced by Jeff Simpson and from From all of us at the Appleseed, we're glad that you're with us. Glad that you're taking so many opportunities to listen to all of the programs produced by BYU Radio. The Appleseed is pleased and proud to be part of that family of radio programs. You can find us online at byuradio.org slash Appleseed. That's where you'll find an archive of all of the episodes of the show. Hundreds of episodes, thousands of stories for your listening pleasure anytime you like. And, of course, you can subscribe to the podcast for something new just about every day here on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. We'll see you next time.
2: Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.